0: By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be
1: liable for losses arising from your use of the information. I'm Danielle Reed, and this is Moody's Talks, Focus on finance. Today, from New York, I'll be speaking with banking team analyst Srikanth Vadlamani in Singapore about how rising interest rates will affect banks in India. And the story there is really a little different than for some other regions we've recently discussed on this show. Later, my co-host Jun Yang, who's based in Hong Kong, S-A-R, will talk to Eugene Tarzimanoff about a report Eugene wrote with Shrikanth on China's economic slowdown and what that means for banks in the Asia-Pacific region. Jun, hi. Thanks for coming back to the show.
2: Hi, Danielle. It's always good to be on the show.
1: So Jun, what are some of the highlights from your conversation with Eugene? What's happening with the economy in China?
2: Well, the economy in China has slowed down quite a bit, uh, enough so that it will have feasible effect on uh, specific business sectors in economies across Asia-Pacific.
1: I see. And so by extension, then it's going to affect banks that lend to those sectors?
2: Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: So what are some of the key sectors where you might see trouble ahead?
2: Well, Eugene will go into the specifics, but briefly, I will say commodities, property, tourism, to name just a few.
1: Got it. I'm really looking forward to that conversation about the world's second largest economy. But first, I'll be talking to Srikanth Vadlamani about how rising interest rates are going to affect banks in India. Srikant, hi, welcome to Focus on Finance.
3: Hi, Daniel, wonderful to be here.
1: So Shrikanth, in our last episode of this show, we talked about how rising interest rates are affecting UK banks and building societies and also Western European banks more broadly. Now, you've just published a report that takes a look at India's banks and how they'll be affected by rising interest rates. And the story in India is really a bit different. What's distinct about how the rising interest rate environment is going to affect banks in India?
3: So if I have to encapsulate it in one phrase, it is a much better starting point. So. If you look at the operating environment, growth outlook in India is much stronger than what it is in the peer economies. And that's obviously positive for banks. But banks also are benefiting from a much better starting point from their own balance sheets perspective. In some sense, the asset quality issues that these banks faced over the last decade has turned out to be a blessing in disguise because that has driven them to clean up their balance sheets and tighten their underwriting over the last few years which means that the balance sheets are in a much better shape to take any incoming stress.
1: Okay, so that's a good point. So they're really starting from a good place. And maybe let's just put some numbers around what what is actually happening now with interest rates and inflation in India as well, just to give listeners some context, because I think that is also a bit distinct
3: from what we're seeing in some of the Western countries. Absolutely. I think actually, The context is very critical here and an important input into our analysis. So if you look at the current inflation rate, the read is around seven odd percent. The rate hikes have been around 190 basis points, taking the RBI repo rate to around 6%. Now, putting this in historical context, these are not particularly high rates for India. So if you look at the RBI target itself, the inflation target is 4% with an upper bound of 6%. So the current inflation rate is higher than the target, but not so dramatically different. Uh, the other way of looking at it is that we have got Indian inflation at around 7%. But the inflation in some of the big Western economies, such as the US or the UK, is actually running higher than that. Now, this, this sort of scenario where inflation in India is actually lower than what we are seeing in the developed world, we have not seen that for decades. So, so, so in that context, uh, inflation is going up, interest rates are going up, but it is not, the impact is not as dramatic as we are seeing in some other parts of the globe.
1: That is actually fascinating. And you mentioned the RBI target, you mean the Reserve Bank of India, right, the central bank, and that the upper bound is, is uh, I think you said, uh, around 6%. And it's really not, inflation is really not running much higher than that. Uh, not very much uh, compared to how much higher it is in, say, the U.S. versus the Fed target of two percent. So um, that's that's something I didn't I didn't realize I didn't appreciate. So uh, thank you for bringing that out. And let's now shift gears and talk about the growth outlook for India because that's also somewhat distinct, right?
3: Sure, absolutely, and it sort of falls out from what we have discussed in terms of the rate hikes being there but not very high. So we are projecting that the GDP growth over the next two years will be around 6.5%. This is higher than all the other G20 countries. It's also higher than most of the countries in, in, in the Asian region, most of the emerging market countries in Asia. So that actually gives us a, a, a context, a numerical context, in terms of why we think operating environment is healthy in India. And this is also reflected in the credit growth. So the credit growth for the system is running at around 14, 15 percent, which is, again, compared to other Asian economies, much stronger. So
1: now rising rates are going to slow down growth a little bit, right? But what you're saying is that even accounting for this slowdown, the growth picture is still strong for India's economy.
3: Sure, so absolutely. I don't want to give a wrong picture. There is no doubt that rising rates are going to be negative for growth rising rates are going to be negative for asset quality. But the key point is that on a relative basis, on both these parameters, we expect India to do relatively better than most of the peer countries.
1: Got it. Now, let's talk about loan performance, which, you know, loans are banks' assets. And so they, bankers tend to refer to loan performance as asset quality. You know, how well the, the loans that they make turn out, how much they keep paying as promised. And I'm guessing that in this operating environment, you'd expect loans to perform on the whole pretty well, right? Even with rates rising and the pace of growth slowing a little bit.
3: Sure. And just to correct something I told in the previous response, rising rates are negative for banks' asset quality. There are other channels like NIMs where it could be positive. Now, coming back to your question, if we take a bottoms-up analysis, uh, corporates and retail. Form the predominant chunk of loans in India, and for both of these segments, we see positive drivers as far as asset quality is concerned. On the corporate side, which is where the brunt of the asset quality issues was seen over the last decade, there has been very significant tightening of underwriting over the last four five years, and that's reflected in the very slow level of corporate loan growth. So, on corporate asset quality, we are quite confident that that will be very easy. Retail, there will be some issues but we think it will be pretty much uh, within the range that banks can handle. Particularly on the home loan side, where actually India, the home price inflation has been very low, which is again in contrast with what we have seen in a few of, in most of the other countries. The fact that home prices haven't gone up a lot means that the debt serviceability is actually very good, which is obviously positive for asset quality. Also on the retail side, there has been a significant improvement in the data architecture, things like red bureaus, big data, uh, or individual identity, and all. And that has been uh, a significant driver of why, even during the pandemic, the asset quality in the unsecured loans has held up better than our expectations. Okay. And
1: there is the one type of loan that you mentioned in the report is is likely to perform less well. And that loan type is loans to small and medium-sized businesses. Could you elaborate on that point a bit?
3: Sure. So, this is one segment where there was a lot of forbearance extended during the pandemic. The implication of that is that some of the weak borrowers, which in normal times would have been classified as NPLs, weren't on the expectation that the pandemic, once you support during the intervening period, maybe they will come back stronger. Now, for those borrowers, now if we add this overlay of again further economic weakness, maybe their ability to take this risk is not as strong as it is for the other two segments that we talked about. And as we point out in the report, this is reflected in multiple parameters, such as the amount of restructured loans in this segment, the sort of uh, distribution profile of stronger and weaker borrowers in the segment. All of them point to this segment being vulnerable to economic weakness. Having said that, we need to put it in context. Uh, this segment is around 20% of the loan book. So even though this may see weakness in asset quality, it, it, still on the overall basis, uh, because the other two segments are quite resilient, the overall asset quality should hold up relatively well.
1: Right, that makes sense. If the one segment that might be the most problematic is really also uh, happens to be the, the smallest or one of the smaller segments, that's probably a, a good thing. Uh, Srikanth, thank you so much. And my co-host Jun Yang has just joined us again to talk to Eugene Tarzimanov about the report that you and Eugene actually wrote together on China's economic slowdown and what that means for banks in the Asia-Pacific region.
2: Thanks, Sunil. Uh Eugene, hi, and welcome to Focus on Finance. Hello, Jun. Nice to be here. So, Eugene, um, China is a huge economy, obviously, and its size gives it a lot of weight, um, globally and especially in Asia Pacific. And right now, the Chinese economy is slowing down as ongoing COVID restrictions continue to disrupt daily life. And also there's a slowing of demand in Europe and the U.S. as those economies wrestle with the inflation and Europe and their also looming shortages of energy, among other problems. Mm -hmm. And because of China's scale, uh, repercussions of the slowdown in, in its economy will felt quite strongly across Asia-Pacific, including by banks in the region, right? So first of all, uh, what's the magnitude of the slowdown in the Chinese economy? So the slowdown is, is fairly sharp. We, we forecast that growth
0: in China's real GDP will slow to around 3.5% this year, and next year it will be a bit better but the growth rate will still be well below the growth we have seen in China in the last 20
2: years. So how is this slowdown going to affect banks in the Asia-Pacific region? Well, first of all, the biggest effects on banks will be
0: indirect. And that's because most banks in Asia-Pacific have pretty small direct exposures to China. So mostly uh, you're looking at impacts of reduce demand in China for commodities and other goods and services from countries that export to China or depend heavily on demand from Chinese consumers. So how this kind of reduction in demand affects banks in Asia Pacific is through weakening of revenues in specific regions or sectors in Asia, which then trickles down to banks, as either through weaker loan performance in the sectors or weaker
2: demand for loans from those sectors. Got it. So the mode of indirect transmission to banks uh, makes uh, quite a lot of sense. Can you name some uh, specific sectors and regions that you think would be most at risk? Uh, you did mention commodities.
0: Yeah, and it, commodities is one sector where a slowdown in China will have an, an effect. And that's because China is a very large consumer of metals, coal, iron ore, and oil. And to give you some statistics, China's imports of coal and iron already shrank quite significantly this year. In terms of oil, China's demand for for that commodity may decrease about 3% this year, according to the International Energy Agency. And which countries in
2: Asia Pacific export these kind of commodities to China?
0: Those would be Australia, Indonesia, Mongolia, and New Zealand. And they are exposed to economic risk from China through commodity or food exports. To give you more details, in Australia, that's iron ore, and it's the top export to China. In Indonesia, the main exports to China would be ferro-alloys, coal, and palm oil. Mongolia, that's coal and copper.
2: And New Zealand exports dairy
0: products and meat.
2: So China's slowdown raises asset risks for banks in those countries that lend to those commodity sectors, right?
0: Yes, that's absolutely correct, June. Although there are some mitigating factors for banks, for example, for now, despite the slowdown and reduced demand from China, prices for commodities are still pretty high, despite negative dynamics. And there's a few other factors. For example, sanctions on Russian coal and high natural gas prices will support prices for thermal coal exporters, and that, that will support their revenues.
2: Of all the countries you mentioned, uh, which countries' banks are most vulnerable to a slowdown in commodities exports?
0: Those would be Mongolian banks, because they have significant direct exposure to mining companies in Mongolia. In turn, Mongolian commodity producers are fairly reliant on China for exports. And we already see some problems uh, in those loans. For example, problem loans in Mongolian mining industry uh, are already pretty high at about 31% in August this year.
2: Okay. And beyond commodities, uh, what about property sales to Chinese consumers? And what about tourism? Uh, Some of the economies in Asia Pacific are probably feeling a loss of revenue from uh, Chinese consumers in those sectors given the slowdown and all these travel restrictions, right? Sure, Uh, let's start with property.
0: Uh, In Hong Kong, Singapore, Korea, Australia and Thailand, uh, the Chinese have been traditionally major buyers of residential properties before COVID. And, And property prices in those economies are already coming under pressure because of higher interest rates. So lower demand from China contributes to further weaknesses for the property sector in those economies.
2: I see. Where would you expect the property sector and banks with loans to the property sector to be most affected? Probably most exposed for property would
0: be banks in Hong Kong. And, and loans in mainland China account for, uh, you know, from 5 to 35% of most Hong Kong banks' overall loan books. And in turn, for most Hong Kong banks, the the property sector loans that they have in China account for about 20 to 30% of their lending in China. So Hong Kong banks that have seen faster growth in exposure to China, as well as those with higher exposure, private companies or smaller companies would be more at risk. What about tourism? Well, there's the economic slowdown in China. There's also travel restrictions related to COVID. So you combine the two, and it means a lot lower outbound travel to Hong Kong, Japan, Thailand, and Vietnam. I'm naming those economies because they have been uh, receiving the bulk of tourists from China traditionally. And if you zoom into those economies, Thailand, and Thailand's banks would be most exposed because Thailand has a, such a huge tourism sector. Hong Kong is a bit less exposed because its economy is less reliant on tourism overall. But interestingly enough, the share of tourists that come to Hong Kong from China is extremely high. So we'd expect somewhat higher problem loans made by Hong Kong banks to small and medium enterprises related to tourism.
1: Eugene. What about foreign direct investment from China? Are there any countries that are going to see less of that? And is that going to be a problem for banks in Asia Pacific?
0: Yes, Danielle, that's another risk for banks in a couple of uh, countries in Asia. So China's outbound foreign direct investment already decreased 17% in 2021, according to OECD data. Among Asian economies, Mongolia is most dependent on uh, direct investments from China. And those investments exceeded 180% of Mongolia's GDP in 2021. So this makes banks in Mongolia and the overall Mongolian economy more vulnerable to reduction in those investments from China. There's another country that also gets uh, investments from China, that is Singapore, although it's a distant second ranking here with 9% 9% this is the uh, uh, the investments from China uh, as a share of Singapore's economy
1: got it thank you very much Eugene and Jun Srikanth thank you both also very much for your insights and thank you to our listeners for tuning in if you'd like to read any of the reports referenced in this podcast you can find them by clicking the link to this episode at slash podcasts. And if you're listening to this show on a streaming service, please remember to follow or subscribe. And please tune in again for future episodes of Focus on Finance.
0: Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.